Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly show about the Swift programming language and other Swift.org projects. My name is JP Samard. And I'm Jesse Squires. Today we want to go over a nice blog post that Dave DeLong wrote um, on his wish list for Swift protocols. Yeah, there's uh, some discussion on Twitter and in the community about what he has proposed here. He has uh, quite a few points, I guess uh, nine or so of improvements and or changes you'd like to see in Swift's protocols. So we're going to discuss those now. (laughs) Right. So the first one, um, in his opinion, uh, if you're adopting a protocol, um, and he says especially one from the standard library, the tools that are in place don't really help you in um, letting you know what you have to implement in order to truly conform to this protocol. Um, and so Dave says, because of this, it's pretty much impossible with an asterisk. Later on, he says, okay, it's not impossible, but it's it's way harder than it should be. Uh, to make your own value-typed data structure, say like uh, um, an AVL tree or um, anything else that conforms to all of the expected protocols that say if something was provided like that out of the Swift standard library, all the things that it would conform to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming here what he means is like conforming to, I would say, array conforms to what, like sequence and collection protocols and some indexable protocols and things like that. And right. you don't know all, like, obviously when you declare conformance, you get an error that says, oh, here's what you need to implement these functions for that one protocol. Yeah, right? well, you got to fix but, it. Right. That says, would you like to, so you're not conform, you're not actually conforming to this protocol. Would you like to step out the implementation? Sure. Sure. But then to have this, uh, you know, quote, fully qualified uh, data structure, you'd need multiple protocols. And he's arguing that you don't know which of those you need to. To to be comprehensive. Right. Yeah. yeah, There's definitely um, a. uh, an educational cliff there of yeah. say you want to um, provide your own collection type that uh, is as fully featured as any standard library f- collection type. Right. Um, how do you build that out? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's a little uh, hard to navigate if you've never done it before. And um, even if you have done it before, you, you'd probably like look at your previous implementations in order to kind of do your next one. Um, cause you're, you're not going to get fix its for like, okay, well here's step-by-step. You want to make a collection? Here's step-by-step, all the things that you have to do in order. Here are the things that are defined in the protocol, but that actually have good default implementations that you should leverage. Mm-hmm. If only you build out like this small core. Um, yeah, that's a little hard to navigate for sure. Right. Yeah. And so looking up array, for example, uh, array conforms to, uh, Bidirectional collection, collection, uh, expressible by array literal, mutable collection, random access collection, range replaceable collection, and sequence. That might be slightly outdated because I'm actually looking at swiftdoc.org, 
but general ideas there. Um, there's quite a few things. If you wanted to build something similar to Array, mm-hmm. say like a doubly linked list or something, uh, you would need uh, most of those, not yeah. random access, but um, some of the others. Um, yeah, and then there's a lot of extension points for customizability where um, a lot of the protocols now have default implementations for some things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, if, if you want to build a uh, sequence, you only really need to provide the iterator in the next function. Um, I might be getting that wrong. Maybe that's to actually implement iterator. But... Um, but then if you want to provide kind of a more optimized implementation for um, for for one of the members that are defined on sequence, mm-hmm. then you can either leverage the default one by just not specifying anything or you can specialize it yourself and, and, and write something that's more unique to your use case or more optimized for your use case. Uh, and there's no real way for you to kind of judge what that is until you go out and measure it. Uh, or from, like, uh, tribal knowledge. Right. I'm not sure exactly what, like, concretely could be done here. But, I mean, one approach is to just look at the existing types, look at the documentation, see what they conform to, and that will at least get you started on the right path. Yeah. um, I think what he might be getting at here is that there are just way too many protocols uh, in Swift that um, like maybe there should be such a thing as like protocol groups Mm. or to have like uh, a protocol that's a lot more um, uh, user-friendly, I guess, to say like you want to build an array-like thing. Uh, right. Well, you know, maybe there's an array-like protocol. You know, obviously it wouldn't be called that, but yeah, that's yeah. a straw man example. Yeah, I mean, that could be achieved with uh, just some type aliases, though. Type aliases, but in it might be cleaner to really continually embrace more and more of conditional conformance by having fewer and fewer protocols mm-hmm. that just have smarter behaviors depending on um, what's implementing it. Sure, sure. And and we're moving that way, right? We've talked in previous episodes about some types that are being deprecated. Um, I forget what exactly. Uh, uh, s- some of the range types, right? The ranges, I think some of the strides as yeah. well. Yeah. So that's definitely I. That's a step in the right direction where um, these crutches that were previously in there due to the lack of conditional conformance support. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we keep on pushing that agenda forward, um, then uh, ideally we'd move to a world in which you don't really expose protocols because of compiler limitations, mm-hmm. right? And maybe this will help with with what he's proposing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another way to address this is really just kind of documentation tutorials. Sure. Um, which can be done within Apple or outside of it. Yeah. Uh, next up... Um, he brings up protocols with associated types. Um, he'd much rather protocols be generic rather than have associated types. And in the so, for example, um, say you have a function that takes in uh, a collection of integers. Well, rather than having to make the whole function generic on that collection uh, with conditional 
with a conditional saying where the collections element is exactly int. Mm-hmm. Um, well, wouldn't it be nice if you could just say, uh, I want um, the parameter to be generic rather than the whole function? Right. So like collection, angle bracket, int, angle bracket. Right. Much like you would do today if you're passing in uh, an array of ints, right? You would just specify that in the parameter. Yeah. If you want that to be any collection, but not the type erased any collection, just any collection, you need to make the whole function generic. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems like definitely the way that things are going. Right. Uh, where, um, but um, a Joe Groff uh, comments in the Twitter thread when, when this blog post was shared uh, saying that um, – Yes, for the most part, associated types and generic interfaces are different notation for the same concept. Right. Um, but in general, not every associated type should uh, should use that syntax. Like the users shouldn't necessarily care um, that a collection's index type or generator type, like how that's implemented, mm-hmm. where that's currently an associated type in, in the protocol. Uh, but the users definitely care about the element yeah. of that collection. Right. Yeah, to me, this is less about a problem with protocols and more about some syntactic sugar to apply to these types of generic functions that you want to write. Yeah, um, but it goes one level further, though, where um, Swift would need to have type erasure built in for all protocols. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll get to what type erasure is later uh, for this to work across the board. Which is also something that I think is a direction that Swift is going in. Yeah. Uh, it's just a lot of things need to be built in order to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This this particular thing doesn't bother me too much, but um, I think having a simpler syntax here would be convenient. Well, I so this is point two, right? Where saying um, that. Dave wishes protocols were generic instead of having associated types, which seems to be more about the syntax mm-hmm. than it is about uh, limitations of protocols with associated types. His next point right. is saying that uh, these protocols with associated types ha- have all sorts of constraints and limitations when it comes to where you can use them and how you can extend them and, and et cetera uh, versus just um, generic stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and this I very much agree with where um, th- this is where type erasure comes in. You can't just say that you want an array of uh, a protocol with associated type objects. Right. Because um, associated types don't let you do that. Yeah, I think this is definitely a pain point. I mean, it's always been a pain point from day one since associated types were introduced. Were they first in like the original protocols? Could you have associated? Types? Not in Swift 1.0, okay. uh, but it might have been like a 1.x feature, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, before they were type aliases, then they became yes. associated types. But uh, yeah. Well, I that think... was really just renaming the keyword. It, right. You know, it didn't change anything. Right, right. Uh, I think, yeah, this has always been a, a, a usability pain point. I think. Yeah. Uh, and type erasure in general is a pretty difficult concept to grasp. Um, and yeah, I- imposing that on 
programmers, especially beginners, is uh, a lot to ask, I think. Yeah, and there's nothing, um, you know, in the algebraic category theory of types that <laughs> would prevent the compiler from uh, doing this type erasure uh, automatically. Well, the limitation there is really that it's a complex thing to do, and um, a lot of things need to be built in order for that to be supported, of which a lot is actually happening. If you look at the generics manifesto, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think it actually touches on type erasure uh, in there, but a lot of the things that it lays out are prerequisites for across-the-board type erasure to work in a cogen fashion, much like mm-hmm. the autosynthesis of equatable and hashable works today. Um, uh, you... You need a lot of what the generic manifesto lays out, and a lot of that is being built. Um, and so taking a step back, like a lot of this article really just seems like, um, you know, Dave wants Swift 10 today. Uh, um, yeah. But that's not to say that it's not worth laying out like what things he considers to be important, at least to have kind of a common alignment of, hey, things today aren't actually that as great as they could be and here are potential directions to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The next point actually touches more explicitly on type erasing uh, where writing type erasers manually is an exercise in pain. Yes, there are some (laughs) ways to leverage uh, cogen tools um, for some limited cases of uh, writing type erasures, uh, but not uh, just across the board, uh, right. unilaterally providing type erasure for all types. And that's – if it was that easy <laughs> – It'd be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then we could do that in the Swift compiler. Right. Yeah, for for a lot of this simple – if you have like – yeah, for simpler, simpler types, uh, writing a type erase type for that is – pretty straightforward. It's just kind of some boilerplate to fill in, essentially. Uh, but it's things are usually much more complex than that. Yeah. Actually, thinking about this more, this is a lot cl- uh, more closely aligned with uh, the indirect keyword than it is the autosynthesis of equatable and hashable. You remember mm-hmm. in early Swift days, um, say you were writing an enum that uh, uh, referenced itself? Right. Uh, a classic example is uh, like a tree enum where you have like case left and right, which would each be a tree. Right, exactly. Uh, or or a node. Um, yeah. Uh, so we used to have this keyword in Swift called indirect, and mm-hmm. then you'd have an indirect case uh, if ever you needed to essentially box that type mm-hmm. into um, – and, and the same thing went actually for – uh, for struct uh, for struct members as well, I think. Hmm. Um, I might be misremembering there, but for sure for enum cases. Um, and uh, people used to expose this box type. Right? Yeah, yeah. People used to write, write this box type, which yeah. would take in a value type and box it in a reference um, so that uh, you can you could use it uh, in, in cases where uh, you can explicitly lay out um, in memory the so that was the problem with with indirect enum cases is that say you have an enum node with a case like I don't know leaf or uh, uh, non leaf what's the term um, uh, which would have that case like left and right right, right. 
well, you can't lay that in memory if left and right are also the same types. You don't know how much space to take up. And right. So that's where the box would come in. That's where the indirect keyword came in. Was It would automatically box it. And then o- over time, the Swift compiler gained enough smarts in order to automatically do this boxing under the hood for you. Um, nice. I missed that. I, so indirect is gone now. Indirect is gone. Yeah. Okay. I never used it that much, but... Uh... That's nice to know. Yeah, and so this is kind of the direction that languages evolve in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that over time, uh, hacks that are in there uh, get uh, like formalized and, and cleaned up, and the compiler knows about it. And so this is this is a great um, great site. This is a great part of the cycle, right? Is mm-hmm. highlighting pain points. Yeah. Um, so this is very much part of the process. And so I w- would very much see type erasure go the way of the indirect keyword uh, where um, it would just be uh, taken care of by the compiler. And and it, mm-hmm. we will get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we might be able to get rid of the any types, right? Any hashable, any um, sequence, mm-hmm. uh, all of these any types in the standard library so that uh, the compiler just deals with that automatically. right. right. So I agree here. I just I think we need to be concrete about what needs to happen uh, in order to enable this and actually have a game plan for for making it work right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a matter of time. Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, the idea that a protocol defining a way to say a protocol can be adopted by. Uh, value types only explicitly. So currently you can specify that a protocol must have reference semantics. You'd have my protocol colon class to say that it must be adopted by a class. Um, But there's no equivalent for doing this uh, for value types. So what do you think about this? Uh, I disagree with this same yeah i think that to me this is approaching that kind kind of problem in a in the wrong way like if if this is what you need then it's probably it's some other issue in your overall design um and it really reminds me of a post from chris eidhoff a while back where he uh, somewhat criticized this like overzealous use of protocols in Swift. You know, there's this kind of big revelation about protocol-oriented programming a while back, and uh, he argued that lots of libraries that were uh, coming out for Swift, um, the authors were just using way too many protocols when a simple struct would have been sufficient or even a generic struct uh, would have been a simpler uh, design with just as much power. So for me, I feel like, I don't know, when you get into this kind of area, it's like, do you really need a value semantic strut or a value semantic protocol or could you redesign this with a struct or a generic struct or something else? And another thought here is that uh, if you're, let's say you have a class that has a property which is just a 
protocol or whatever type you have. Um, the property is just a protocol. It's not an explicit type. Uh, if you are heavily depending on the reference or value semantics of what that protocol thing is, then that's probably not a good idea. Um, if you, you know, that, that to me that indicates some flaw in that design where you should probably have a concrete type there and explicitly make it a reference type or a value type if that's actually what you need rather than some implicit or it, it, rather than some implicit assumption uh, about the conformer to that protocol, right? I think the whole reason why this uh, doesn't sit well with me is that a protocol is supposed to uh, basically erase all of this type information in some way, right? You just have this interface with a few computed properties or functions, and that's all you should care about is that contract, not any of these other things. Um, and when you start getting into that, I think it just gets too complicated. Yeah. Um, one angle I can see here, which is more about um, surfacing the problem that this is trying to solve rather than saying that this is the right solution to that problem, mm -hmm. is that say with, with a protocol, say you have a, uh, a get-only member of a protocol, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing that guarantees you that the value you get out of that is going to be the same every time. Right. And when uh, – and, and this is where protocol documentation would come in more where there's this – there's the compiler conformance to the protocol. So as far as – as far as the compiler is concerned, you conform to a protocol, but sometimes there's um, behavioral guarantees um, and like random access collection is, is part of that, right? Like where it's very easy to conform to the protocol and let make the compiler happy without actually providing the uh, computational complexity guarantees that the protocol requires. Mm -hmm. um, so I can see this being similar – seeing a similar problem here where – um, as consumers of code, of generic code that deals with uh, implementers of a protocol, you might – it would definitely be useful to know if the value from a get-only property um, is guaranteed to be the same mm -hmm. uh, for subsequent accesses of it for any given instance of that protocol or if it's not guaranteed. Right. Well, that – to me, that brings up this whole other issue, which is uh, on my wish list, which is that let should be allowed in protocols, yes. and that solves that problem. Yeah, I, I do think that is a better solution to that problem. Um, it's not the the one of the issues there, I guess, is that it sort of muddies the waters between um, the storage. Uh, requirements of a member versus um, uh, versus its uh, behavior from the outside, mm -hmm. right? So, but I guess you could say the same thing with var. Um, right. I mean, it's ambiguous with var because it could be a stored mm -hmm. property that actually doesn't change or it could be computed yeah. that returns a constant or it could be computed such that it's actually recomputed and potentially different every time. Yeah, well, that's where var is 
a lot more of a compiler concept than it is a user-facing concept Right. where you'll use var um, if you can't convince the compiler that something won't change, mm-hmm. even though you know it won't change. Right. So one example here is when you have um, when you have blocks of code that are guaranteed to run uh, in line uh-huh. and synchronously that mutate um, a captured variable. Uh, so sometimes there's just like code that you want to encapsulate uh, within a block. Mm-hmm. And uh, like one example here is actually um, Realm's write block, mm-hmm. where if you um, need to set uh, a a variable that's defined outside the block within the block, but that block's guaranteed to run synchronously and in line, uh, you still need to make that var, even right. though it's only set once and it's only read after it's set, all mm-hmm. that. So that's where var is a lot more of a compiler concept. And the same thing goes here with um, computed properties, right? There's no way the compiler can know that your computed property is immutable mm-hmm. and will always return the same value. And so you have to mark it as var. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I don't know if let is the right syntax, but in any case, I, I think I agree with the gen- your general direction there, which mm-hmm. is, hey – the concept that's useful to represent here isn't so much that this protocol can only be represented, be conformed to by value types, but rather that uh, these members are immutable mm-hmm. for any one given instance of this uh, conformer to the protocol. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot more semantically correct. Yeah. Well, next up is uh, the idea that uh, you could... Define a struct that, for example, that that conforms to a handful of protocols that only uh, provide uh, some of these uh, var git uh, properties, um, and then you'd get that struct uh, auto-synthesized. So the example here is if you have like protocol like year, month, day, and they each provide a var year, month, day, uh, which is an int. You'd have a struct conformed to that. Um, Dave suggests this auto keyword, and then you automatically get the struct with those properties and like your default initializer. Um, that's kind of nice. I think it could be convenient, but I think it's probably rare that you would use this much in practice. Um, well, the the high level takeaway here is sometimes it's nice to um, be able to uh, specify storage mm-hmm. representation in a protocol. Right, um, kind of gets at the same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's very similar. A lot of these points actually overlap quite a bit, um, and in uh, let me I. I might be misremembering here, but in Objective-C, um, you can define properties as part of protocols, right? Uh, yes, but I also have very strong opinions about that as well. And then um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just blanking on what actually happens there, but when, uh, when you conform to it... You have to uh, at-synthesize yeah, that property. Right, but you can yeah. still more or less kind of um, 
inherit that that storage, right? With with one step of at synthesizing the property, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure how strictly enforced like the problem I have with properties and objective C protocols is that you define atomicity, mm-hmm. uh mutability, uh you know, whether it's like strong, yes. copy, assign yes. and to me those things should not be imposed on conformers. Right, and this is Moral, it's not exactly the same in this case uh, because the um, that uh, that's not imposed. Nothing about storage is imposed on on the adopter here because the auto stru- the auto keyword is on the adopter of the protocol, not on the protocol itself. Um, so you have to opt into it here at the adopter side of things, right? Um, so that that's definitely useful. Um, I'm just uh, this would definitely need a lot of bike shedding, I think, because yeah. I'm not exactly happy with uh, the the exact proposal here. But I do think the general idea is definitely valid um, of being able to just opt into kind of default storage semantics for a given protocols mm-hmm. uh, properties, even though they're not really properties as far as protocols are concerned. Right. And I know this example here is contrived just to express this idea, but um, the alternative here is like, well, maybe uh, this isn't the right way to design this thing in the first place. Maybe you should just have a struct that does all this stuff uh, instead of having these protocols. Well, this is a struct, right? But it would just have to re-declare all the properties. Sure, sure. But I'm suggesting that rather than introduce these protocols at all. Yeah. You just have this struct that provides this data. Yeah. So I think there's always, I mean, that's the difficult part here is like designing mm-hmm. your types. Well, another way to represent this would be an option set, for example. Sure. Um, but then you you lose out on a little bit of the uh, naming, like the, the structured naming that you would get out of structs mm-hmm. if you're using option sets. Yeah. Like to get, say, say you have an option set of year, month, day, uh, and then say you want to get the year out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's that's definitely trickier. You, know, you would need yeah. option sets with associated values for that, and right. that's not really a thing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this, this should definitely be explored more. Uh, finally, um, well, actually, there's a few more points, but uh, they're all along the same lines here. Um, and that's for... Uh, basically re-porting over the concept of class clusters uh, from Objective-C to Swift. Uh, yeah, this is also something that I, uh, at least at first glance, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, yeah, specifically this point is talking about being able to assign to uh, self in a protocol, which is... Uh, or in a protocol extension. So, um, yeah, I think there are lots of edge cases there that just make this really difficult to get right and also, like, the cases in which you would be actually be able to use this. But I'm not particularly a fan of the class cluster situation, Um yeah, but also I think you can still achieve that uh, that idea 
anyway. And I think the uh, doesn't the standard library actually do this in some cases where like the underlying storage type for an array could be different depending. Yeah, but this yeah. is different here because this would be an initializer on a protocol. Right. Right. And for this to work, you definitely need type erasure to be built into uh, the compiler because one way to do this today would be to have a say struct or class any so the the example here has a protocol URL requestable where it has a, pr- a single member get a getter for URL um, and so the a proposed direction for for this class cluster concept would be you could extend URL requestable the protocol uh, with init with URL and then switch on the scheme so if it's uh, a mail to URL or an FTP or HTTP, then you would um, set self to uh, the initialized version of like uh, type-specific URL requests. So like email requests, FTP requests, HTTP requests, et cetera. Um, And today you could do that if you had any URL requestable Mm -hmm. that had in it with URL and then that basically assigned self will really, it would be assigning its underlying, like its its uh, base representation of of the type erase type mm-hmm. uh, to all of these concrete implementations. This works, and so if you add type erasure to the compiler, this should work by default. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see this as really just uh, more of a corollary of a lot of the previous points in this blog post, rather than kind of its own separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely agree with you, though, that like this should be a tool that you reach for only in very special circumstances rather than something that, uh, like, is um, very common in Swift. Right. Uh, the next point is having a protocol conform to another protocol, um, which I think is interesting. It could work in some cases, but the actual specific example given here I see as very problematic where... Again, with this URL requestable protocol, if you were to extend that to implement hashable um, so that you provide a default uh, equals equals implementation and a default hash value just based on the data in uh, the data provided by that protocol, which in this case is just a URL var. Uh, But that's problematic because conformers could have other storage. They... um, that would, you know, other properties that they would want to compare in Equatable um, and use for Hashable. Uh, so I don't see how that that particular example could be useful. I mean, it mostly seems like that would produce bugs. Um, I think it really depends on, like, the, the protocols that you're dealing with to make, you know, one conform to something else. Um, and that seems very tricky to to implement. Um, this actually, uh, so I'm wondering um, why this isn't possible today with some slight changes to how um, uh, how this is defined. Mm-hmm. And it seems like um, uh, it seems like you might actually be able to do this today. Um, if you just move the hashable uh, implementation or definition to the protocol itself. 
uh, and it I just pasted this into a playground and uh, it compiles. Right. So I guess what Dave is proposing – so th- the limitation that we have today, I guess, is that this can only be done – from within the same module where the protocol is defined. Right. You can't extend a... Yeah, sorry. So to clarify, this is to extend a protocol to conform to mm-hmm. another. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so this is possible today as long as you're within the same module because yeah. you, you need to put that conformance, that protocol inheritance, if you will, on the protocol definition itself. Right. No, yeah, that's exactly what it is, protocol inheritance. Um, so... You know, there's there's a few incremental steps that I see moving forward here, right? Um, one is uh, within the same file, you should definitely be able to uh, extend protocols with additional conformance like this mm-hmm. because the compiler has everything it needs yeah, for that. That's true. So, you know, that could be you – know, if you're listening, you're looking for a, a potentially a quick – uh, Swift evolution proposal to send out that might be one mm-hmm. um, because the Swift compiler has everything it needs to to make to make that work. Um, yeah. I don't know how complex the implementation would be. I I make no <laughs> guarantees as to that, but um, everything's in place for that. Mm-hmm. But outside of mm-hmm. that module is problematic. Well, it might be possible with again type erasure uh-huh. because you can do this. For uh, if you're extending a class outside the module where it's defined to conform to a protocol, sure. And if protocols have their own kind of type erased uh, type erasure built in, then w- you know one naive way to represent that would be that each protocol might have like a, a class or a struct that's generated at runtime to wrap. Mm-hmm. That protocol, and therefore you you can already do this with structs and classes, um, and of course the implementation would hopefully be like a lot cleaner than than that. But that's a naive way to implement it, right? Mm-hmm. So again, this is kind of uh, follow up to type erasure mm-hmm. is how I see it. Right. Yeah. And the uh, the final point here uh, is about the standard library and. Uh, the suggestion here is that everything should just be a protocol rather than having explicit, you know, string, array, dictionary, set, types, etc. Uh, if those were just protocols, and that ties back into the uh, class cluster discussion in some ways, um, this is something that... I'm also not a fan of – I think there's value, especially in the standard library, of having concrete types. And uh, I don't know. All, all of these concrete types, they have these collections of protocols that they conform to. Um, so you can still refer to them generically. But I don't know if we gain a lot by just completely avoiding concrete types. Yeah, Um this is definitely a foreign concept, and I'm, and I'm struggling to evaluate this uh, on its merits, which I think it has. I think this has a lot of merit, but I'm struggling to evaluate this based on merits alone, considering this is that this is such a foreign concept to anyone who's been mm-hmm. in Swiftland for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling to be objective with this. I think. Uh, there's value in in thinking about things this way. Um, 
there's there's a few things that I'm having trouble squaring in my head around this, which is um, uh, so one example Dave gives is uh, when I ask for a dot lazy dot something, I don't want to get back some weird lazy random access collection or whatever. Uh, I could just get an array of something that happens to have a lazy implementation. However, um, what what I'm having trouble with here is that it's taking this concept that Swift has um, fully embraced, which is to make light types. Um, I, I recall Rob Ricks's talk on many types make light work or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Where if you embrace the idea of lightweight types everywhere, you can um, codify behaviors uh, m- much more cleanly than if like uh, like in Objective-C land where every protocol, every class imposes a runtime hit of adding that to the class table and the, run- the Objective-C runtime, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have lots of types and structs are lightweight and enums and protocols and classes are all lightweight, then, hey, just like use them all over the place and use them to represent very uh, fine-grained ideas. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, if you get a lazy dot something and you you get back this weird lazy random access collection thing, if you're writing your code generically, and yes, there are rough edges around this today that are hopefully – going to get resolved as the generics manifesto gets more and more fleshed out. And as we get things like type erasure, mm-hmm. um, you should just be able to call anything that you'd want to access on a collection protocol, except that you get you have the type right there that provides semantic meaning into what it is that you're dealing with mm-hmm. so that you can make educated decisions on things like, okay, well, how expensive is this versus that? Mm-hmm. That if you were just getting an array of something and you didn't know its underlying lazy behavior, then you can't make those decisions. Um, so I'm right. I'm definitely having a bit of trouble with this. Yeah, and, and to kind of reemphasize that point even more, this goes back to uh, Ola Begeman's post on uh, you know pro- protocols are not just bags of syntax. Yes, protocols actually have very specific semantic meanings, uh, and uh, lazy random access collection means, well, you're guaranteed the laziness, you're guaranteed random access, which implies, you know, O of one access to any uh, element in that collection. So if you take that away, then, yeah, you lose you lose a little bit of information there. Yeah, and what are you gaining really? And if what you're gaining is working around, um, like the, the, the fact that Dave finds lazy random access collection weird is totally valid today. Yeah, right. But ideally in Swift 6, Swift 7, whatever, that weirdness should ideally dissipate. Mm-hmm. N- not not due to time, but due to like the Swift compiler actually um, like cutting away at uh, the awkwardness of different types due to constraints in the compiler today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, conditional conformances is helping to solve this it should right definitely now. Definitely help with that, and yeah. like there's still weirdness today. If if you deal with string protocol versus string or substring, um, there's definitely some things that work and some things that don't. But mm-hmm. I think that's more because we're still in a transition period, yeah. more than uh, the the concept is invalid, and and that's actually kind of 
strangely enough, kind of aligned with what Dave is saying here, where I wish you you would just deal a string protocol as string, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I, I think in some ways we're going towards a world with this, in others not so much. And, and maybe we're actually misinterpreting this here where like um, lazy random access collection, I don't know if that's – that's actually a protocol, mm-hmm. which is what – Dave is arguing for in this point here, which he wishes the API defined by the standard library was actually just all protocols. Right. So that that's kind of actually contradicting itself. So there are times when, yeah, having everything just return string protocol uh, would be so much nicer. And type erasure <laughs> also helps here, right? right? Type erasure is like this magic bullet for like all sorts of things because then you could just you might actually be able to rename string protocol to just string. Right. And you might rename string to something else and keep substring. Um, like you might have like full real, string. Real string. <laughs> yeah. yeah, real string. Um, but I, I think there's a world in which part part of this definitely makes sense. Part of it does not. And it's not about uh, having fewer types. Um, having fewer types in places where the, the existing multitude of types uh, is serving as a workaround to compiler constraints, I agree with. Right. But having fewer types because as a developer, you don't care about the difference between a lazy implementation or a random access implementation versus any other collection. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd, I, I'm definitely not in favor of that. Right. Uh, also, if you just look at the standard library, there are already very few concrete types anyway. I mean, it is largely just protocols. And the benefit of the way that it's structured now is that, okay, let's say in these situations you you get these explicit return types. Well, all of the APIs that you write yourself, the functions, et cetera, everything you're doing, you could write them to only talk to the protocols that you care about um, as opposed to writing code that deals with these explicit types. Yeah. Not in all cases, but in many of them you – you can still achieve some of what this seems to be getting at where you're not dealing with explicit types. Uh, Although I guess uh, sometimes you may not have all the information in a single protocol. Like maybe you couldn't just replace array with the collection protocol. Like maybe you need collection and random access collection or something. And so then maybe it gets a little hairy, but... In theory, I mean, you could have a type a, a array protocol type alias that provides those things if you are if you really want to get at that. But. Yeah, agreed. All right, that is all we have on uh, this very large topic. Um, definitely do chime in, uh, tweet at us, or join the conversation in spectrum.chat uh, because we'd love to hear um, your thoughts around this because there's definitely a lot in here to. Uh, to consider and, and mull over. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, you can find the show at Swift underscore Unwrapped on Twitter. You can find me at SimJP. And you can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. Thanks for listening. 